Christ Chapel and happy Father's Day to all the dads in Fort Worth at the West Campus and South Campus and obviously Internet Campus uh, all around. Certainly love you dads and we're going to be talking a little bit uh, to you uh, today. But I was trying to think what is the best gift that I could give dads today and that is a sermon that is on time. And so that's what I'm committed to today, and you're going to hold me to it. I know everybody's now just set their watches, uh, and I'll leave all those number one dad mugs and grilling gifts to your families uh, that can afford those things for as many of you as possible. So I hope that's something that we can all come around and celebrate. I know that uh, being Father's Day, some of that brings up some baggage from the past too, but I just wanna say, praise God, we have a wonderful heavenly Father who loves us, who has never failed us, who will always be good to us. And we praise him for who he is. And we also praise God for all the great dads that he has in our fellowship, who, as I said, we'll talk about a little bit later. But hopefully that's something we can come around and celebrate because unfortunately we don't have a whole lot of things in our world that we feel like we can come together on and celebrate. In fact, uh, there was a, a st study done and a poll taken. 77% of Americans say they feel more divided with folks in their country, in their community today than they did a year ago. 77%. And certainly they've split over things like uh, political allegiances or social ideologies. And it's caused this great chasm that many feel uh, cannot be crossed where these lines have been drawn over borders. They've even been drawn in bathrooms. And one of the things that has been heralded about our country is that we are a melting pot well, that melting pot has hit a boiling point. And that hot water is even spilling over into the big C church in America. And it's funny to me how, uh, funny is ironic, you know what I mean by that, how what Christians are dividing over these days in our country are not core doctrines of faith. They're not dividing over things like Christology or soteriology or even the, the, the finer points of doctrine where we're talking about election and free will or premillennialism and amillennialism. We're splitting over things like social emphases and personal liberties. And you go, really? Is that what God has called us to? Let, let me remind you of what the Apostle Paul said do not be unaware of the devil's schemes. The devil wants to divide and destroy. Do not be unaware. And he's trying to do that in the midst of our churches, in the midst of evangelicals, even in America. And yes, even in our own church, the devil wants to divide and destroy and cause us to devour ourselves from the inside out. That's why I think we've got to come back to the basics as believers, and we have to understand what, most specifically, who unites us, because we need to be a church with an undivided heart as unto the Lord in an undivided fellowship set apart to serve him. And that's what we're gonna be talking about. So if you will, open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, we're starting a new series today called Undivided. 
Uh, You will need a copy of the scriptures because we're gonna be going back and forth. And by the way, uh, if you do not have a Bible, Jen and I will buy you a Bible. I promise you, I would love to give you a copy of the scriptures. It's helpful for you to see the scriptures, to touch it, to feel it, to understand, to have a physical copy because it helps you understand the meta narrative of scripture when you can see it put together like this rather than just typing it into a phone or a computer, which is certainly convenient and I use all of those means as well. But if you need a Bible, we'll buy you a Bible, just email me and tell me but we want you to have that. So we're starting a new series called Undivided as we're gonna be going through 1 Corinthians and it's gonna take us a little while. It's gonna take us through the summer and basically into the fall, into our next big fall series. And so we're gonna be studying this and my goals for this series are very, very simple. I want first for us to understand who unites us and how he unites us. But second, I want us to understand those issues that have the potential to divide us and how does Paul address those in the church? Because many of the things that they were dealing with in the church almost 2,000 years ago, we are dealing with today. There is nothing new under the sun. The devil's schemes were not different then than they are today. He wanted to divide the Corinthian church and he wants to divide us today. And I will say a resounding heck no. He's not gonna do that. He's not gonna do that to us. And so that's why we're gonna go through uh, 1 Corinthians. And so I wanna give you some background on the book before we jump into the particular subject that I want to study today. So let's go through some background. Look at verse one. Verse one says, uh, Paul, that's the apostle, he is the author of the book, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sothenes. We'll stop right there. Let me give you some background. Paul, remember, he is the apostle who came to know Christ on the Damascus Road back in Acts chapter 9. He was the one who was persecuting the church, comes to know Christ, and now he turns to be a proponent, the apostle to the Gentiles specifically. This is Paul. He was in Corinth, we know that, in Acts chapter 18 and actually stayed there for a year and a half because he was seeing so many people come to know Christ. That was in about 51 AD. Now he's traveled on his missionary journeys as he's setting up these house churches in different cities. He has now gone to Ephesus and it's about 56 AD. And so he's writing back to the church in Corinth because of the things that he's heard from them. And it says, and from our brother Sosthenes. Now this is not the real estate mogul Sotheby's, nor is it the child who couldn't get ready socks to knees. I had to put in one dad joke for today, okay? You'll think about it later and you'll go, actually, that's pretty good, you know? Sosthenes, Sosthenes was the ruler of the synagogue in, first, uh, in Corinth. If you read back in Acts chapter 18, he actually is beaten up by the Jews who were mad that Paul was proselytizing Jews into believers. And so probably Sosthenes was letting that happen within the synagogue, so they beat him up because he's been a a comrade of Paul's. 
And so when Paul exits town, Sosthenes goes with him, and he might also be included in here, not only because obviously the the Corinthians would know who this is, because he was the ruler of the synagogue there, but he might be pinning the letter as Paul dictates it. So that's who these characters are. And the reason why they are riding back to the church in Corinth is because they've gotten word of all the division inside of the church. There are so many divisive things going on. And one of the reasons why there's so much division in the church is because of the first rule of real estate, which is location, location, location. If you think about where Corinth was, and I've I've zeroed in on this map, it was actually on an isthmus. It was actually called the Isthmus of Corinth. And what people would do, ships would come into the Gulf of Corinth. Well, I mean, come on, guys. The Gulf of Corinth, and they would come in there, and it was basically a trading city. It was a booming commerce going on there. And instead of making the 200-mile trip around to get to the other Gulf that therefore then goes up into Achaia, people would literally, they would pay to have their boats dragged across on logs because it would save them time, and time is money. There you go, now we're talking, thank you. Yeah, time is money, and so people would come there all the time. Not only was it a trading route from northern Achaia down into southern Greece, but it was a trading to go across, across that isthmus, and so it brought in so many different cultures. It was a melting pot of backgrounds of ideologies, of religions. When people moved there, or when they traded there, or when they came there to establish their business, these entrepreneurs brought all the baggage and all the background. And when they came to know Christ, all of that stuff didn't just disappear immediately. It was stuff that boiled over into the church and that had to be worked out inside of the walls of the church. See, Corinth was a huge city, about almost 700,000 people at the time. And all of these people were now trying to live together in community as, as those who came to know Christ. In fact, that's what Paul addresses them as in verses two and three. Look at it with me. It says, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, and this is one of my favorite lines of the entire book. This really sets it up. Called to be saints together. Not called to be saints individually. Not called to be saints by yourself. Called to be saints together. With all of those in every place who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he talks about called to be saints together for those in every place. So certainly he's connecting the body of Christ to the big C church all across the modern world of that day. But remember, these were a lot of house churches. These were a lot of small groups that were meeting together in homes. And so this was called to be saints together, not just as I'm one house church, you're another house church, but we are called to be the church in Corinth to represent Christ as a body, and that'll be really important because they were having divisions. That's why he calls them to be saints together. They were were having divisions over things as simple as Sunday school teachers. 
to all the way to things of sexual immorality that they said even the pagans wouldn't tolerate, to lawsuits amongst believers between brothers and sisters in, in Christ, to worship wars. I want to worship this way, you want to worship that way. I mean, this is the modern day church. There is nothing new under the sun. And those things were dividing the church from the inside out. Yet Paul calls them the ones who were called to be saints together. I mean, and as astonishing as that is, where he has this vision calling them to be undivided together, who they are supposed to be in Christ, who we are called to be in Christ. Maybe the most astonishing thing, knowing all that he was going to tackle in this letter is what he says in verse four. Look at verse four. In verse four, he says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus. I give thanks to my God always for you. Can you imagine that? Paul knows all of the dysfunction that he's about to go into, things that the pagans don't even tolerate that's being tolerated inside the church. And he goes, I give thanks to God for you always. How does he do that? Now, either he's lying Or he's found some key that unlocks this attitude of gratitude in his heart, where he can give thanks in all circumstances, as he tells the church in Thessalonica, to give thanks in all circumstances, rejoice in the Lord always. How can he do that? I think it's right there in verse four. What does he thank God always for? I thank my God always for you because of what? The grace of God. Don't, don't miss that because the grace of God is going to link everything else that comes underneath it that we're gonna study today. Grace, let me just give you a quick definition of it. Grace is unmerited favor. It means getting something that you have not earned or do not deserve. And this divine grace that God had given to the church in Corinth makes Paul say, man, I give thanks to God for you always. You see, what was dividing it at its root, what was dividing the church was pride. Pride in their own preferences, pride in their own opinions, pride in their own freedoms and their own liberties. And the opposite of pride is grace because pride is about what I earn. Grace is about what you are given that you did not earn and do not deserve. And he says, because of the grace of God and all the things that you have not earned, I give thanks for you Always, grace changes our perspective and it gives us an attitude of gratitude. And so what, what I wanna do uh, here with the rest of our time together is I wanna unpack three different ways that this divine grace 
is poured out on the church in Corinth. And Paul recognizes that right at the very beginning of the book. And I wanna tell you what those three ways are that God gave divine grace so that it could be given to one another in the church. See, we receive his grace so that we can dispense his grace to one another. And I wanna show you what those three ways were that they experienced that grace and give you some quick application. And then we're gonna put some personal application to you right now because we're gonna do something that we call open church in all of our venues. And we're gonna give you a chance to answer the question, what do you thank God for? Do you have an attitude of gratitude as we go through this and see the grace of God poured out into our lives, into our fellowship? It gives us a chance to personally respond and say, I thank God for. And so you can begin to think about that. We're gonna do it at all of our campuses, all of our venues. So let's go through those three things that Paul sees in verses of four through nine very quickly. And they're things that we need to adopt and accept as things that we give God thanks for. And the first one is this, we give thanks to God for his grace that unites his people. That unites his people. If you look back at verse four, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus. As I said, pride divides and grace unifies. Grace levels the playing field. No one has any reason to boast before the Lord. And so when we come together, we all say, we all fall short. And the only reason why we have fellowship and are undivided with God is because of his grace to us. And what makes us undivided with one another is the grace that we understand we've gotten and received from God. That helps us to unify with one another to be undivided. And that is incredibly counterintuitive to our world today. That's why it's divine. Because in the world, our world does not understand grace. Our world only understands merit of what you deserve. That's why in our world today, one of the reasons why grace is not understood very well is because we feel like we are always trying to earn people's affection. I, I, I think if you sat down and you realize this, whether it's oftentimes even the closest relationships to you, a spouse, a family member, a friend, a supervisor, it doesn't matter who, we often feel the pressure to audition for their affection. And you feel like I have to live up to this expectation. I've gotta, I've gotta perform in this particular way so that they like me, so that they accept me. And what he says here is, no, our fellowship is not based on performance because we all fall short. It's based on the grace of God that accepts us despite a terrible audition. We, we can never audition well enough to earn God's unconditional love, grace, and mercy for ourselves. We get it in spite of ourselves. And that's counterintuitive. Another reason why it's counterintuitive is not just because of the divine grace that we receive from God, but it's the divine grace that unites us undivided with each other. You see, this, is, this fellowship is based on being gracious to one another. 
You see, because guess what? The people that God brings into a church or into fellowship with one another need grace. That's why he brings us into fellowship with one another. We need to receive grace. And oftentimes, that's not the kind of community that we seek out. We don't seek out the people that that need our grace. We don't seek out the people that annoy us that irritate us, that rub us the wrong way. And God says, that's exactly who you need to be around. That's exactly who needs to experience grace because guess what? You annoy and irritate people and rub people the wrong way. You need grace. And that's why our church is full of sinners, just like me. And if you're a guest, I'm sorry, you have entered into an imperfect church. We're an imperfect church because we're made up of imperfect people. But we do serve a God who is perfect and never fails us. And that grace is what unites us with one another. But it's completely counterintuitive. But God gives us the divine grace so we can dispense it to others who need grace, and that includes ourselves. And Paul is thankful for this. And so I want to turn this into something we need to be thankful for ourselves. And that means thanking God for one person who supports you and one person who sharpens you. We oftentimes thank God for the the people that support us the person who always pat us on the back, who are always giving us an attaboy or an girl, We're always thankful for those people who give us a soft landing, but we aren't oftentimes thankful for those who give us a sharp rebuke and a sharp correction. We wanna be, and as to be culturally relevant, we wanna be in the echo chamber where we're only being told what we want to hear We're only hearing the things that affirm our perspective instead of the things that go, you know, Cody, you may be off right here. You may need to watch that. You may have been harsh there, et cetera, et cetera. And we need to thank God for those people that sharpen us. In fact, Proverbs 27, 17 says, just as iron sharpens iron, so does one person sharpen another. God puts us into fellowship with one another so that we can sharpen each other. And guess what? The sharpening process is hard. It's sometimes abrasive and uncomfortable. I have a, we have a knife sharpener at home, and there's one side that says coarse. And you pull the knife through the coarse side. I'm sure the knife isn't going, more please, Pull me through that side some more. And then there's another side that says finer. You gotta pull it through there. Still the knife probably isn't saying more please. And it doesn't matter what God is pulling you through if it's coarse correction or finer correction. None of us are Jesus. And we won't be completely like him until we see him face to face. And we need people around us that support us and we need people around that Uh, sharpen us as well. And I wanna thank all the dads today, especially on Father's Day, for the role that you have. I couldn't be more thankful for the dads in our fellowship from the bottom of my heart. If there is 
a huge need that I think that we have in our country today. It is for godly dads to support and sharpen their families. And the dads that are here, you are doing it the right way. I know you're not perfect, and that's okay, and neither am I. But you're putting one foot in front of the other, knowing that you do follow a perfect Savior who picks you up by his grace day in and day out. And guess what? That's exactly what your family needs to see. And it's okay. And I will go to bat for you, dads. I will. And I'm so thankful for you that you're leading a life that follows after Christ, that you can say, as Paul will say later on in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, follow me as I follow the example of Christ. Paul still had stumbles, but his trajectory was single-minded unto the Lord. And that's what we need you to be, and I thank you, because you have a unique role in your family of supporting them, but also sharpening them. And that's a unique balance that you have to take on that takes discernment and it takes the spirit of God. And you gotta wake up every day and be dependent upon him. And we support you here and we will sharpen you here at this fellowship because we need more dads like you. And so I'm thankful for you today because dads, you are one person that supports and sharpens us. So happy Father's Day. Uh, the next thing that we give thanks for is we give thanks to God for his grace poured out in his provision. Thanks to God for his grace poured out in his provision. Gracious provision. More than we can earn. More than we deserve. And Paul talks about this in verses five to seven. If you look at it, he says, I thank God that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says this grace has enriched this body of believers so that they are not lacking anything. And what he's specifically talking about are spiritual gifts. The things that he gives to the body, which we'll talk more about spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, but the spiritual gift that's given to the body so that they can be whole and complete and do everything that he has called them to do. To do all the ministry. They have been thoroughly equipped, enriched, not lacking anything. That is God's provision. They didn't earn a spiritual gift. They didn't deserve it, but God gave it to them so that they could fulfill their calling and their purpose to do the ministry in Corinth. And as I thought about this enriched in every way, God's gracious provision, I just thought about how God has provided for our church to continue to do the ministry through some very uncertain times. And I wanna thank God and praise God for his gracious provision. And I wanna thank you, Christ Chapel, for the way that you have given through these very uncertain times and uncertain years. Um, Just so that you know, praise God. Through the COVID times, we did not, as a church, we did not take any PPP money. We didn't take any money from the government. Your giving allowed us to meet budget every single week and oftentimes, often weeks, exceed the budget and we didn't have to do any COVID layoffs. And so thank you for that, yeah. So praise God, 
praise God, praise God, praise God, and thank you. Thank you for listening to the Spirit of God and many of you, so many of you giving sacrificially above and beyond, not knowing what the next month would provide for you and saying, God, this is as unto you. And I want you to know we are stewarding, we steward your gifts and tithes and offerings as if you've given it to God and not to us. And so our elders steward that so well, our staff do as well. And so you allowed us to continue the ministries through some very uncertain times. And you also allowed us to extend the ministry. And I just wanted to, to tell you that you've heard about some of the local outreach initiatives that we've given to. You've heard about some of the global outreach that we've given to, but we've also and are continuing to extend the ministry in Johnson County. If you'll remember, through COVID times, your giving was so gracious, so generous, above and beyond, that we are able to build the phase one of a South Campus with cash, 100%. And we just poured the foundation two weeks ago. And so you can see the foundation out there. Yeah, you can clap for that. And so... There is the foundation, and I promise you the South Campus is going to look better than that. Uh, but we were able to go out there uh, in, in kind of uh, in-between rain sessions. This was right before they poured the foundation. This is some of our elders that got together. We were able to pray. And then also a lot of the staff families were out there, the staff families there at the South Campus. And I know South Campus is going nuts right now. And we love you, South Campus, and believe in what God is doing. And he's doing a special work in and through you down there to continue the ministry and to extend the ministry. And so uh, we praise God uh, for his gracious provision to us. And the application for me is very simple. We need to be quick to give credit where credit is due. And I give all credit and glory to God and am so thankful for his provision, you gave as unto him, and God has done great and amazing things and continues to, and so we give credit to him. And in fact, James chapter one, verse 17 says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. He doesn't change. And he provides every good and perfect gift. And so we give credit to him and we say, praise God, praise God, praise God. But let me make a quick aside here because we need to be quick to give credit to each other. To, one, to, to God, yes, but also to one another. Because something that I have noticed a lot lately is that we're not quick to give credit, we're quick to give critique. As my father-in-law says, the easiest thing to find in this world is fault. And we're quick to find fault rather than going, you know what, let me step back a second, take a deep breath and give credit where credit is due. Because all that is when we are quick to, to give critique, it is making us more jaded, more skeptical and more untrusting of one another. And the other thing that that is doing is it's causing those that really are called to step out in faith to be fearful because they're afraid of the blowback and critique that they're going to get and, and, and the, the non-support that they're going to get. 
instead of being gracious and going, you know what, let me give credit. Let me, uh, this is a lesson that I learned, I shared this with the staff. We have to praise each other, praise one another, not just for perfection, but for the positive. God is perfect and we can praise him for that. None of us will be. And so let's praise one another for the positive instead of waiting for perfection and critiquing one another until they get perfect because none of us will be perfect. But we're gonna continue to follow the Lord who is. Okay, so then the last point is this. The last thing we give thanks for is we give thanks to God for his grace that sustains us by his power. By his power. As Doug Cecil says, the same way that you are saved is the same way that you walk. And we are saved by grace through faith. And how do we walk with Christ? By grace through faith. The same way you're saved is the same way you walk. And that's where this ends up. In verses eight and nine, as Paul ends this somewhat salutation here at the beginning of his letter, he says, uh, who will sustain you, this is Jesus, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. This grace that was given to them is the same grace that will sustain them until the very end, guiltless. Why are they guiltless? Because of our sinless Savior's payment for our sin and guilt. It's the only way. It's the grace that makes us undivided with Jesus and with one another. But the way that I love that this section ends is it ends with Jesus. Jesus is going to be the solution to all the division that is here in this letter. Verse nine is the key that unlocks all the rest of those verses, that his power will sustain you till the end. His power will be the power that unites you to the end. He is the one you must look to as the author and perfecter of our faith. Jesus is the solution. In fact, he's so integral in these nine verses. Do you know how many times his name is mentioned? Nine times. Nine times in these first nine verses. He is the tie that binds. It's his power that will sustain the church to do his work and his will in the world in Corinth and in our world today. And so we thank God that he loves us by his sustaining power. He loves us enough not to leave us the same or leave us at all. The way that we know God loves us is he loves us enough to not leave us the jaded, skeptical, hostile people that we can be, but instead the ones that can be gracious, forthright, giving the benefit of the doubt, being kind to one another, exhibiting Christ to one another. Because he says that he will never leave us nor forsake us. And that word forsake means to not give up on. And because he will never leave us nor forsake us, guess what kind of fellowship he wants us to have? One where we do not leave and we do not forsake one another, but we remain undivided. So we're gonna give you an opportunity to thank God for those things uh, in your own venues but let me pray for us before we get into open church together. God, I thank you for your grace to us, your grace that is the key to our Christian life.
the, the grace that sustains us, the grace that unites us, and the grace that provides everything that we need. May that spirit of grace permeate our lives and reflect itself in gratitude and thanksgiving. And I pray for all of our venues right now that we would uh, just enjoy a time of fellowship where we get to praise you and be quick to give credit where credit is due. And it's in Jesus, the, the tie that binds, central to that passage central to scripture, central to our lives and our church, the head of our church, that we pray these things, amen.